I got a birthday coming up in a couple weeks, and I'll be 60, so that's still fairly young. I, I think of myself as young, and so I asked Teresa, uh, um, do, do I look like a man that's about ready to turn 60? And she says, uh, well, you used to, and so... <laughs> But anyway, I was going to talk about depression tonight, but after hearing that, I decided, no, I'm just too depressed to, to do that. So I want us to talk a little bit about the life of Moses. In, uh, in chapter 3 in Exodus, chapter 1, if you'd be turning there, it was Henry David Thoreau who said that most people live lives of quiet desperation and die with a song still in them. And I suppose that song that they die with is one of hopelessness. They have such high hopes for themselves, for the future, for their marriage, for their life. And then, as bitter disappointments come, because life is hard, they die as they live with a song of hopelessness in their heart. I don't have to tell you tonight that life is hard. Life can be difficult. Uh, I could give you any number of illustrations about that, but you have your own tonight. So, turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 1. And here we discover that the Israelites uh, were in a tight spot. Life was very hard for them. So, I'm I'm going to start at verse 12. Okay, and it's talking about the Israelites. And we read, starting at verse 12, But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, so that they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, and made their lives bitter with hard work, and mortar, and brick, and all kinds of work in the field, and all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Do you think you have employment problems? You don't like your supervisor? You don't like your boss? Maybe you're, you think you're overworked and underpaid? Imagine these Israelites here working from early in the morning until night, and they were beaten, and they worked as slaves. Was God there? Tonight we're going to look at the life of Moses in the midst of this pitiful situation. Now, I'm sure you're all familiar with Moses. You've heard sermons. You've had Bible studies in Sunday school. Uh, you, You know that Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. You know that he was... Uh, he became next to Pharaoh as, as ruler, okay? He would have been the next ruler of, of Egypt. And you know the story of how he grew up in Pharaoh's court. In fact, he probably studied hieroglyphics and a whole lot of other subjects of higher learning. He was very well educated, by the way. Flavius Josephus, a first century Jewish historian, said that when the Ethiopians, Ethiopians came against Egypt, It was Moses who led the troops to victory. So he was a well-rounded individual, by the way. And now suddenly, this child of luxury and this child of ease and fashion decides that he can't simply stay in the palace and watch his people suffer. 
So the Bible says, uh, drop over to chapter 2, starting at verse 11, chapter 2. In verse 11, we read that one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. And when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? And he answered, Who made you prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a wall. Now, you would probably say, Golly, as Gomer Pyle would say. Y'all remember Gomer Pyle? Or maybe you might say yuck. So he's sitting down in this just unending dust bowl, dirt, dust, heat, maybe some gravel. Nowhere to go. Think of what Moses lost, by the way. He lost his position in the palace and all of its perks. He lost the power that he had. He lost all the potential and all of that training for nothing. So he's sitting in the desert here with nowhere to go. And for him, at this moment, life is hard and difficult. But it's during these hard times that we really do learn the lessons that we really need to know in life. In fact, if you think about it, success can be a very poor teacher. Failure and suffering, okay, is actually the best teacher. Now, nobody signs up for suffering and failure, but actually, it's the best teacher. So we're going to look at some lessons here uh, that Moses learned in the desert. And then prayerfully, we'll see some things and why all this should transform us. So beginning tomorrow, well, let's back up beginning tonight. We'll look at things differently in our lives differently. So the first lesson that Moses had to learn, uh, he had to learn the lesson of servanthood. Now, in verse 16 of chapter 2, Let's read. We're going to read down a few verses. Chapter 2, verse 16, it says, Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water in their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. And when they came home to the father Ruel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon? How, how, how come you come home soon? so soon today, by the way? And they said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hands of the shepherds. And he says, and Ruel says, well, have him come. And he came to Moses, and in, in, in verse, 14, uh, verse 21 tells us that Moses was content to live there uh, with him. And he even married one of Ruel's daughters, Zipporah. Uh, so in, in the midst of this, he had to learn, he learned the lesson of servant, servanthood. So here he was in these... Young women were trying to water their flock, and he helps them. Now, they didn't know that they were in the presence of greatness with Moses there. So Moses is going to have to serve in obscurity, and he will serve in this fashion for 40 years. 40 years. This man was so well educated and probably the most intelligent, 
conversation that he was going to have for the next 40 years was that of the sheep going, and that's probably it, by the way. So this man, Moses, was serving in obscurity, but he's also serving in humility. Now, we really don't understand the text unless we realize what it says at the end of Genesis that the shepherds were an abomination to the Egyptians. Okay? So we're not talking about any old job here. We're talking about a job that Moses' culture considered, considered to be the lowliest, the most gruesome in many respects, and one of the most despised jobs. And God said, Moses, for 40 years, this is what you're going to be doing. And wow, I just can't, I have a hard time comprehending that. So Moses is serving in obscurity, serving in humility, and Moses learns a couple things here. He learned that when you're going through a hard time, it's important to be willing to do anything, any kind of job to volunteer for. I remember when I was uh, about 16, and they were building some of the subdivisions around here in Jameson Terrace and, and Greenhurst down the road there. My father said, uh, I said, I like a car. He said, go get a job and buy you one. So I said, okay, I'll go get me a job. So I walked around to where they were building these houses, and I asked whoever was working, do you need some help? What do you know how to do? Nothing, but I got a strong back and a weak mind, and I can, I can do about anything, by the way. I, I borrowed that from James Macko, by the way. He says that all the time, so it's not me, but anyway, I'm just kidding. But anyway, so they had me toting bricks, and that's before the roads were paved back there. They were, they were still dirt, and a lot of times it rained. The big trucks couldn't get back there to drop the shingles, the bricks or whatever, the sheetrock, so I was the hauler, and that's what I did. I hauled stuff. And I did that, and I liked it because I got a paycheck. And so I didn't mind. I didn't mind that the least bit. But I was willing to do that. Hard work, by the way. Now I'd probably run from it. But anyway, that's a different story. So there's no... <laughs> Moses couldn't wait around uh, for a job that was up to his potential, by the way. Uh, there was no way that Moses at this point could say to himself, well, I'm really uh, very much overqualified for this job, and it's just not the job for me. No, when you're really desperate and when times are hard, you'll do about anything that's presented to you. Whether it's keeping with your, uh, your aptitude or your gifting or not. Imagine Moses with all his training and all of his aptitude lies in one area. And, and all this work that he's going to do lies in another area. Com completely contrary to what he had known. Do you think he ever got used to this kind of work, the 40 years taking care of sheep. I, I don't know, maybe he did or maybe he didn't. But he had a son, and he names his son Gershom. And Gershom means I'm a foreigner in a strange land. But Moses was committed to this strange land for 40 years. And he doesn't think at this time that anything will ever change. Well, there's another lesson that he learned in terms of servant, servanthood. Uh, when you're going through a hard time, you need other people, by the way. Imagine Moses in the middle of the desert without a family to take him in. What is he to do? And during hard times, what God teaches us that we need one another. We need the body of Christ, by the way. And it's sad today, our society, 
even among Christianity, has gotten away from that, gotten away from the importance of the church and the fellowship of the church. Let's say uh, a woman is going through a very hard time with the death of her husband, or a family has lost a son to suicide, or a man is laid off after 30 years on the job. Those people are going to need the support and the prayer and the hope that can be given to them by the church, that others can give them in the church. Y'all agree? <clears throat> Even financially, at, at our church, Miles Road, we, we try to help one another in times of need. And, of course, we can't do everything, and that's always a challenge, but when you're going through a difficult, difficult hard time, you need the community of God. And I've noticed in my years... Uh, I've noticed when people are going struggling, they run from the church, and they tend to isolate and withdraw and, and do their own thing. And that's probably about the last thing they can do, by the way. Well, there's another lesson that Moses learned, and, and this is the lesson of trust. Now, look at chapter 2, okay, and draw, look, look at verse 23. You'll, you'll notice in verse 23 that it came to pass in the process of time, or uh, some translations put it during those many days. So he's there for uh, 40 years, multiply that by 365, and uh, I thank God for calculators, by the way. So we come up with 14,600. I have a friend who's an accountant, and uh, he says, as long as I'm right 90% of the time, nobody really cares about the other 5%. I thought you were sleeping out there, but I guess, I guess you caught it, by the way. <laughs> but 40 years by any stretch is a long time. But was God doing anything during that time? Was God working, or did he simply abrogate or give up his responsibility? Look at verse 24 and 25 of Exodus chapter 2. And look, look at the verbs here. Okay. And the Lord heard their groanings. Okay. The Lord heard their groanings. See, God wasn't deaf at all, was he? Look what it says next. And God remembered, God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. You know, sometimes we, we, we keep reminding God of things like that he might forget something, Right? But God doesn't forget. And he doesn't know yesterday a lot better than he does 60 years ago or 100 years ago. I'm sure by now, hopefully, it's dawned on you that nothing has ever dawned on God. And so God here is remembering. He is hearing and he is seeing the people of Israel. He is seeing those slaves from day to day. And those slaves at that time even probably had to, to see the calling of God in all this. But what was God doing? Was God doing something? What does God do when you are in the desert, when you're in a hard, difficult spot in life? And I think, by the way, everybody goes through a desert experience of some form or another. You know, Israel was in the desert. Moses was in the desert. Jesus was in, de in the desert. I've been in the desert, and you probably have too been in the desert. Do you know what the desert is? 
The desert is a place of monotony when nothing seems to be happening. Nothing seems to be going right. And the worst characteristic of the desert experience is that of hopelessness. Because every day is just like the day before and nothing ever changes. That's the desert. That's the desert when times are hard. And what is God doing in the desert? Does he abandon us there? Does he, God abandon us in this desert experience? It says over in the book of Deuteronomy, and you can turn if you like in your Bibles. We're going to go back to Exodus. Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy 32. An interesting passage about Israel in the desert, by the way. And it says, Deuteronomy uh, 32 in verse 10, it says that he found him in the desert. He found him in the desert land, in a howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him, he cared for him, and he kept him as the apple of his eye. God was watching like an eagle that stirs up his nest and that flutters over his young spreadlings. Out it swings, bearing them on wings, bearing them on eagle's wings. God says, I was with you in the desert. I was walking with you during the times when you didn't have water. I was walking with you during the times when you needed food. I did not forget you during that hard, difficult time. Now, it's, it's kind of interesting. I understand that, that eagles uh, build a nest uh, made of sharp branches and sometimes sharp rocks, and they fill it with their feathers, and they make it very comfy and very cozy for the little eaglets, okay? And where they're born, they just kind of sit around. They don't want to go anywhere because it's really nice around there. And they're in their nice, comfortable nests. And they love their home. And, and then the eagle, the mama eagle, sometimes pushes them out. But then another time, at other times, sometimes the eagle will do something that's very interesting, the mama eagle, that is. She'll begin to pull out the soft feathers. And soon all the feathers are out, and these little baby eaglets... Uh, they're lying on the sharp rocks and the sharp sticks and the sharp branches. And they're probably saying, well, what is going on here? What's happening here? Suddenly my home is not that comfortable anymore. The wind is howling uh, through their home and they get uh, the comfortable home that was so, so luxurious to them before. And, and now this nest is stirred up. And they say, really, things are starting to get bad at mom and pop's house. I might as well just fly out of here and take my chances. Maybe, maybe I'll die or whatever. Uh, and, 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 well, and that's one way to get them to fly. And, and, and as you know, the eagle, the mama eagle, as these little eaglets learn to fly, the mama eagle will fly up under them and pick them up and then take them back to the nest until they actually learn to fly. And that's what... God is telling us here in the book of Deuteronomy that God did with the nation of Israel. And God says, that's what I'm doing with you during these hard, difficult times in the desert. He says to the nation of Israel, and I think he tells us tonight the same thing. I was with you. I was hearing you. I was seeing you. It's, it's very easy, uh, at least it has been for me, to trust God when everything is going great. When the bush is burning and the waters are parting and when the mountain is shaking and when the money's flowing in and your employer is patting you on the back and going to promise a raise and all that, it's easy to trust God. But it's difficult to trust him in the desert 
in this unending sand, in this monotony, in this boredom. Seems like nothing is happening. And you look around and think to yourself, I really don't have a reason to think that God is here. But God is here. He's there. And he's with us here tonight, by the way. And he's with you when you go through your difficult times. So I'd like for us to understand tonight that Moses had to learn this lesson of servanthood. He had to learn the lesson of trust. And then he had to learn the lesson of obedience. Because over in chapter 3, we read the burning bush incident. And God says, Moses, I'm calling you to go to Egypt. And Moses was standing there on holy ground. In fact, he had to take his shoes off. And he's still arguing with God, giving God reasons why he won't go. But God says, go. And Moses says, no, I will not. God says, I'm adequate for you. And Moses says, I don't care. I'm still not going. See, Moses had a a fear of failure or a fear of transitioning or a fear of change. You know, it's it's, kind of interesting that Moses said over in chapter 3, Moses says to God in, ver- in verse 11, by the way, he says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He says, Who am I? People have been asking that question ever since. Who am I? I have known wives to abandon their husbands and their children just to go find out who they are. I've known husbands to leave their spouses, leave their wives, to find out who they are. You know, when I was a teenager growing up, it seemed like the kids were, were leaving home, running away from home, and going out to become a hippie or, or whatever, or do what they did back then. So my father, he had a little sit-down with me. Uh, I think it was right after the job thing. He told me to go out and get a job. But anyway, so... He says, you know, a lot of young people are running away from home. And he says, look like I'm going to have to run you off to get you out of this house. And so <laughs> I, I'm smarter than I look, by the way. So I, I did enjoy home because I had so much provided for me at home. And rather got spoiled with mama's cooking and mama doing laundry and mama doing everything else. Uh, e- even today, uh, we have this whole business that I read about, about self-image or self-esteem. And people are asking, well, who am I, by the way? In fact, this a story of a, a beautiful Swiss girl that wouldn't look in the mirror because she thought she was ugly. And so she was helped by her mentor or whatever was telling her to hold your head up and walk up into the mirror and, and open your eyes and see how beautiful you are. Well, may, maybe we need a theory of self-image not only that works for beautiful young women, but also for ugly old men. Uh, I mean, that might be appropriate, right? But maybe we need a, a theory of self-image that actually works for Phyllis Diller. Y'all remember who Phyllis Diller was, by the way? Some of you don't remember that, but she kind of achieved fame by making jokes about her appearance. Uh, I remember one time she told the story that she was in a beauty salon for nine hours. Uh, imagine that, being, being in the beauty salon for nine hours. And then she said, well, that was just for an estimate. And so, <laughs> you know, we need a, a theory of self-image that is much stronger than that. And you know what? It's right here in this text of Exodus. 
Moses says, Exodus 3.11, Who am I that I should lead the children of, of Israel into Egypt, out of, out of Egypt, that I should lead the children of Israel unto Egypt, okay? And God says, I will be with you. I will be with you. And that's his answer to us today, no matter who you are or where you're at in life. If God is with you, then you know who you are, right? You know who you are if God is, is with you. There should be no question about it whatsoever. Well, Moses, he continues to argue with God. And over in chapter 4, in verse 1, and he says to God, well, they won't believe me. They won't believe me, nor will they listen to my voice. Do you know what's going on in this text here? Moses is, is I think he's still bitter. I think he's still angry. Forty years has not lessened the pain for having been rejected by his people. Uh, he tried something, and the people didn't help him, and God didn't help him in his mind. And Moses is saying to himself, I'm not about to go back and try this again. If you call me back then, you know, maybe I would have, but you're calling me now. Back then I was single, and it was a lot simpler for me. Uh, I could have been a leader, but now I'm married, and I've got a couple of kids. Uh, and I'm living here in the desert, and now you want me to leave everything and, and go. And so Moses is arguing with God over it, and he doesn't want to be hurt again. He says, I've tried that, enough is enough. You know, uh, it's kind of ironic, I heard somebody say one time, that once you've been burned on hot milk, that you'll even blow on your yogurt. And I suppose that's true, and that's kind of what Moses is saying here. I don't want to try this again. Uh, so God says to Moses, Moses, what's in your hand? And he, looked, he said, it's a staff, it's a rod. And it was a rod, perhaps maybe five or six feet long, maybe several inches in diameter. It had been a branch of a tree at one time. And God says to Moses, Moses, what's in your hand? And he says, a rod. And God says, throw the rod down. And then Moses was able to do miracles with his rod, with this rod. And afterward, when he does eventually go, notice that his rod goes with him wherever he goes. So he's going to uh, try to cross the Red Sea. And lo and behold, the Bible says that he took his rod and put it across the top of the sea, and the waters parted. And later on in his journeys, he's going to need water, so he's going to take that rod and strike the water. And because of the rod of Moses now becomes the rod of God. God is able to use this rod, and God is able to use Moses. And God says, Moses, that which you learned in the desert is going to be the means by which I will reorient you, that I will uh, rethread you in an entirely different direction. You'll always remember that it was in the desert, Moses, where I taught you these lessons that success in the palace never could have taught you. So what we really have here is the fact that Moses had to learn the lesson of obedience. When life is hard and you don't know what to do and you don't know it, what's going to happen next, you know, God may have brand new plans for you in your life. And when he calls you to do something, when he calls you into his service, whatever that might be, no matter how inconvenient, uh, no matter how much uh, it will disrupt your routine, so to speak, you need to go. You need to listen 
to the call of God when he calls you to do something. Well, we talked about the lesson of obedience. Well, let's kind of bring it home, uh, translate it to where you and I are. You know, let me say regarding the lessons that Moses learned that we need to remember, we need to etch on our minds that God is with us in the hard times. God is with us in the desert. God is with us in the difficult times. He is there. He's seeing. He is hearing. He's answering. God is with us in these hard times. I like the story of Genesis chapter 39. And it says, The Lord was with Joseph and gave him favor in Potiphar's house. Now, you know the rest of the story, how uh, Joseph was falsely accused and he was thrown into the dungeon. And uh, you know what it says in the next chapter? And it says, the Lord, now he's in prison, and the Lord was with Joseph. He was with him when when he was in Potiphar's house and he's with Joseph while he was in prison and he showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in eyes of the jailer. And that's pretty, pretty significant in my book. God is with us in our promotions, when everything is going well, when the sea is parting and the rivers are flowing, God is with us in our promotions. But God is also with us in our demotions, when we're unjustly let go, when accusations against us are false and we can't seem to correct them. It is then God is also with us and God is with us in the hard times. I I think it's uh, very important that in a hard time, God, it's good for us to know that God has us exactly where he wants us to be. You are today where God wants you, by the way. You say, well, that's not entirely true because I've messed up and, it's, and today is, is my fault, by the way. Well, Moses could have said the same thing, right? He could have said, you know, it's my fault because I acted the way I did. You know, it's my fault I, I did this. Uh, in killing this Egyptian, maybe I could have made a better, a better choice, Norman, or maybe I could have been wiser. Uh, now I'm being judged and in the desert because I blew it. All right, fair enough. But it, isn't it interesting that it's in the desert that God has prepared him? It is there in the desert, as a matter of fact, if you, if you think somehow Moses got out of God's will, you know, if you, if you take that point of view, it, isn't it interesting that right there in the middle of where he shouldn't be, God has prepared a life for him. And he marries and he has some children. And right there, God has a new path because the will of God has enough wiggle room in it, so to speak, to take you where you are at and present circumstances for you uh, for God and for God's glory. So God wants to better us as believers all to God's glory, by the way. And you are where you're at today because God wants you to be there. And that doesn't mean that, you know, if we're in a bad situation, if I'm unemployed or what, that doesn't mean I need to sit back. I need to go out and look for a job, by the way. It doesn't mean that uh, I shouldn't be trying to improve my lifestyle or whatever, improve relationships, you know. But we do understand, we need to understand that God today knows exactly where you are. He knows where we are. He knows the... the uh, latitude the longitude and all those things where our boat is sailing in life when hard times come god is there you know look at the uh uh earlier on we read about the slaves and the israelites were slaves in in egypt but look at these slaves here they are they have no ability to make their lives better and yet they call on god and what is god doing 
God is hearing. God is answering. God does things, by the way. He's doing this. And if you miss anything that I've said tonight, remember this. Don't interpret the silence of God as indifference from God, like God doesn't care. Just because God is silent at times when we're in the desert and we're struggling and we cry out to him and we see no answers, don't ever interpret the silence of God as the indifference of God. God is there. God is caring. God is orchestrating. God is working. He's doing sometimes things we don't even know he's doing. Who knows? The bush may burn tomorrow. And he has these surprises in store that we can't see at the moment. You know, Moses probably thought that that the 40 years he had just lived was predicative of the next 40 years with the same old monotony, with the same old humdrum, the same old boredom. Let me ask you some questions tonight. What have you picked up in your desert experience? What has God taught you in your desert? Did he teach you faith? Did he teach you patience with people? Did he teach you how much you needed other people when you were in the desert? And now maybe you're more generous in your giving to others. Maybe you've opened up your life to other people. Because it's God's intention that the desert experience touch our lives. And that's the last lesson for tonight, by the way. But I think the desert has a way of of giving us a new touch with God. You know, regarding uh, Moses and his desire to lead the children out of Israel and his willingness to identify with the people of God. And the Bible does give him credit for that in the book of Hebrews, by the way. I think that God probably said to himself, you know, the time isn't right yet for Moses. Moses is not quite right. He's not ready yet to be the leader that I want him to be. He was taught servanthood. He was taught humility and trust. He has to learn to obey even when inconvenient. The palace could never teach him those things. Only a hard life in the desert could teach Moses those things. See, the, the desert is not really a penalty box, by the way, where you're out there being punished, if I could put it that way. The desert is getting us ready, getting you ready, getting you prepared to get in a new game, to prepare your heart for further service. You'd never be where you're at today in your hard place, in your desert, if God did not intend to use that for his glory and for your good, by the way. You know, it's hard for me to say because when life is hard, it's hard to see his purposes sometimes. But that's exactly what he's teaching, that he is there with us through all times, the good times, and even the bad times. I think Jesus Christ is actually our best example. You know, Jesus himself had a hard life. Think about what Jesus went through. He was evil, evil spoken of. He was forsaken by his friends. Uh, there were false accusations about the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, he had six uh, mock tri- false trials. And then Jesus, in the human side of it, was forsaken by God. So he was having a very, very hard time experience. And we see that experience in Gethsemane. And yet the Bible says over in Hebrews, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame. Now that's remarkable. 
And on the other side of that crucifixion, there was the resurrection. And if we're here today, if you're here today, and life is hard, I have a, another question for you, by the way. Something to ponder, something to think about. If you're here tonight as a believer, and you're struggling, remember, eternity and heaven are coming for you. Amen to that. But if you're here tonight as an unbeliever, and life is hard, that, this is the best it's ever going to get, by the way. All of eternity is going to be far worse than you could ever possibly be experiencing today. So for the Christian, there are no permanent tragedies. Your worst tragedy is just temporal, so to speak. I like what Paul says in Romans chapter um, 8, verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed to us inward. If you're here tonight as a non-Christian, you know, this is the best it's going to get in all the trouble that you're experiencing. It'll only get worse after you die, far worse. And the real issue is our relationship to Jesus Christ. When he went through all that that I just described, dying on the cross for our sins, shedding the, his blood for us, it's because of that that we can come to our Heavenly Father and be forgiven, to be, re, be received and be welcomed by God and belong with him forever and ever. You know, our eternal destiny depends on our relationship with Christ. So my question to you is, have you received him personally as your Lord and Savior. Not your spouse's Lord and Savior. Not somebody else's Lord and Savior. But have you received him tonight as your personal Lord and Savior? Can you sit here tonight and say without a shadow of a doubt, I know I'm his child. And I know for certain that I'm going to heaven when I pass away. If you can say that, hallelujah, praise God to you. But if you can't, then you might want to get that squared away tonight. Why wait another moment? Let's bow for prayer, and then Norman's going to come and lead us in a time of invitation. Father, we thank you that Jesus was willing to go through this desert time, this desert experience for us, Father. And all that he went through, he went through so that we can be reconciled to you, Father. I just pray for those tonight that might be struggling, that might have uh, problems with their relations, might have financial problems might be struggling, dear God. Maybe they're tired and worn out. Maybe they have physical complaints, Father. I just lift all these up to you tonight, Father. Whatever the people here need tonight, Father, I just pray that you'll meet their needs. For it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.